Today we're going to speak about how to use tama successfully or beneficially. The first time we talked about having tama or the benefits of having tama and then yesterday was how to have tama and today is how to use it. We can compare this with with money. We have to know how to to acquire money and then how to have it and then how to use it. We need to understand these three aspects in order for money to have any benefit for us. It works the same way with tama. I'd like to point out to you four duties that we all have in life, four duties which tend to be a problem or a challenge for all of us. The first duty is to prevent the arising of unskillful, evil, wicked states of mind. The second is to abandon abandon or get rid of unskillful evil acts thoughts and words that may already exist within us the third duty is to develop skillful and beneficial things within our lives and the fourth is to protect and develop further skillful, useful, beneficial things that have already arisen, that are already at work within us. So these four duties are four things that we need to work on and which Tama can help us. So when we talk about how to use tama, we can speak about tama, using tama to, to accomplish these four duties, which are necessary for all human beings. Yesterday, we gave the definition of tama, that tama is the system of practice that is correct according to our humanity throughout all the stages and levels of human evolution that is beneficial both for ourselves and for others. Tama, as defined in this way, can help us or it's tama is what we need in order to deal with all the situations and problems which arise in our lives. And all these various situations can be described as these four duties or problems that we just mentioned. I'd like to talk about the things that we all need. There are certain things that all of us 
are in need of. And Tama can help us to realize these things that we need. The first needs that I'd like to talk about are survival. We all need to survive. We can talk about three kinds of survival at the beginning. We can talk about material survival, physical survival, or bodily survival, and we can talk about social survival. Tama can help, can, can give us what we need to solve the problems inherent in these three types of survival. So there's the material survival, where using Tama, we can take care of all the problems we have related to the material necessities of life, such as food and clothing. Then there is the physical survival, the things we need to do to keep the body going. And then social survival, using Tama, we can solve the problems that arise between ourselves and the other members of society. And so Tama can work on these three levels, the material, the physical or bodily, and the social level in order to solve problems and bring about our survival. This is the first way that we can use Tama. When we speak about material survival, we're talking about all the various material things that are necessary to maintain life. So we're talking about the food, our clothing, housing, medicine, various other material things that we need to find and use in our lives. If we, if we use these things without Tama, there will be problems. If there is no understanding and application of Tama, these food or clothing or shelter can be used in foolish ways or the way we go about getting them can be dangerous to ourselves or others. And so these can lead to all sorts of problems. But when we use Tama regarding these material things, then no problems arise in our obtaining and using the necessities of life, the physical necessities of life. So eliminate the problems, eliminating the problems from this aspect or sphere of life is what we mean by material survival. Now we come to physical or bodily survival. Let me correct what I just said. With the material things, let's just say that is the acquiring of the necessities of life. Now when we come to talking about physical survival, it is the using and maintaining of the body. So 
once food has been obtained, it must be used properly. And shelter and clothing must be used properly so as to, to ensure a healthy life. And so the way we, we go about living, the way we practice our lives, must have tama, so that the various things we do are done in balance and in ways that do not cause problems. Things as how we bathe, how we eat, how we sleep, how we go to the toilet, our way we exercise and take care of the body. These all must be done with tama. If they aren't, if there is no tama in this, then we will make mistakes and cause ourselves all kinds of physical bodily problems. So the second kind of survival also depends on tama. So now we come to social survival. I like to ask you all to pay attention to and remember the Buddhist way of approaching society. It's traditional in Buddhism that when we talk about society, to see it in six directions. We can view society as six directions. The first direction is that which is in front of us, which is the east. And behind us, the west. The direction to our left is the north, and the direction on our right is the south. Then there is the direction above us and the direction below us. So when we talk about society or sankama in Pali, we're talking about these six directions and we must use tama in relationship to all six of these directions so that they are correct. It probably isn't necessary to go into all the details of each of the six directions. We'll just mention each of them by name. The first direction, the direction in front of us, or the east, represents our parents or whoever in life has acted as our parents, our mother and father. So the first direction is how to properly carry out one's duties towards one's parents so that there are no problems arising. The direction behind us, the West, are our husbands, wives, and children. We must also have those relationships in order. To the left are our friends, and on our right are our teachers, the people through life who have taught us useful things about living in society. And then above us are are the Buddhas, 
the gods, the the saints, the perfected ones, all the way down to the kings and people who have more power than we do. So we can summarize it as our superiors, those who are above us. And then below us would be those who have less power than us. If we own a business, the people who work for us, or if we have servants at our house, these people. So workers, laborers who, who work for us, or anyone who is under our authority, in short, our inferiors. This is the sixth direction. With Tama, it is possible to prevent and eliminate all problems in regards to each of these six directions. So by using Tama properly, it is possible to have no social problems, to live in a way where one's relationships are in order so that no problems arise. This can be done by using Tama. So Tama means to practice correctly towards each and everything. It is the practice of Tama to act and live correctly in the various relationships with others and with things around us. This is the practice of Tama. So by doing so, we, we live correctly in relationship to each of these six directions. No problems arise. And in this way, we have no problems with all the world. It is possible to live correctly and properly with all the things around us in the six directions. This is through the practice of Tama. So these, this, what we've been talking about so far is fundamental or a foundation of survival. There is material survival, physical, bodily survival, and then social survival. Together, this takes care of the, the basic fundamental survival that is necessary for life. When Tama helps us to do all these things correctly, then we have established a foundation for survival. So that was the first kind of survival. Now we move on to a second kind of survival. The second kind is mental survival. This means solving all the problems that arise with the mind. We can do this by having control over the mind, having trained and developed the mind so that it has control. So when there is the mind has some feeling or is in a state 
that is harmful and destructive, the mind can remove itself from that state and put itself in a state that is useful, that isn't tukkha. So the mind learns to develop this control, especially in steps 9, 10, 11, and 12 of anapanasati. The mind develops this kind of control and power to remove itself or to eliminate harmful states of mind and so that it can enter into useful states of mind which are free of tukkha. To be able to do so is to be able to survive mentally, to, be, to have control over any mental problems that might arise so that they can be dealt with and eliminated. This is the second kind of survival, mental survival. So if we, if we look at the third tetrad or the third grouping within mindfulness of breathing, steps 9, 10, 11, and 12, we'll see that this is how the mind develops the ability, has the power to control itself so that it can, has complete mastery over mental states. For example, step 10, where the mind can enter in, into states of satisfaction, happiness, gladness, enjoyment, very at will. It can move in and out of these different kind of states in order to gladden itself. Or step 11, the mind can concentrate itself to be steadfast, firm, concentrated, at will on anything. Or step 12, the mind is able to be released, to let go of all the attachments or of any attachment that is present, to let go of the defilements in order to be calm, tranquil, and at peace. So this is, this is the way to mental survival, for the mind to have this kind of control. If you want, the mind can also enter into all kinds of states. If we speak the way traditional villagers would speak, we can say that the we can enter into the mind states or we can become celestial beings. These are called devas. So the mind can become, we can become celestial beings and having the kind of enjoyment of very fine sensual pleasures as these celestial beings are reported to experience or to go above that and have the and to be brahmas brahmas are gods living in realms where there is there is non-material pleasure it's not sensual pleasure but it's non-material being or wait I should say fine material being high states of concentration Excuse me, it's fine material, not non-material.
or we can go into even higher states than that. This can be done because of the mind's ability to control itself. If we want, we can also enter into wicked, defiled states of mind, if, if there was some reason we would want to do such a thing. So this is what happens in the third tetrad, the third grouping of four steps in mindfulness of breathing. And this is the meaning of mental survival, to be able to have this kind of control over the mind so that all problems, all tukka, can be avoided as far as applies to the mind. In order to make this point clearer, I'd like to explain another tama word for you. This word is opapatika, opapatika, which is often translated spontaneous birth or immediate mental birth. That may not sound, make much sense to you, so we'll explain it a little bit. Opapatika is a spontaneous kind of birth where there are no mothers and fathers involved. It's a mental birth. It's not birth from a mother. It's an immediate, spontaneous kind of thing that doesn't involve the long biological process of physical birth. This is an immediate kind of mental birth that happens all the time. For example, if you think like a dog, then you are born as a dog. That is opapatika as a dog. When you think like a pig, then that is opapatika as a pig. When you think as a criminal, that is spontaneous birth as a criminal. Thinking as a gentleman or a wise man or whatever is spontaneous birth in those ways. This all happens within the same body. It's the same body. But when the mind thinks in this way, it's born this way, and when it thinks that way, it's born that way. So in this way, within the same body, there can be birth as animals, as good people, bad people, as celestial beings, Brahma gods, higher Brahma gods, or as the hungry ghosts and the the cowardly titans and all the other denizens of hell. Opapatika can be birthed immediately and spontaneously in any of these different realms, even though it's the, still the same body. So this is something very useful to understand. If you understand it, then you'll be very careful about being born as a dog, or as a pig, or as a cowardly titan, or a, a hungry, ravenous ghost. 
you understand this, then you will see that spiritual survival, or excuse me, mental survival, means having the control over the mind so that the mind does not opapatika in realms that are tuka, but will only opapatika in realms that we that we need, that are beneficial to us, and that are not tukka. So try your best to understand what we mean by opapatika, spontaneous, immediate mental birth, all within the same body. So by having tama in this second way, brings about mental survival, having complete control over the mental states, over the states of mind, or we can call them the states or levels of consciousness, so that the mind never falls into lower states of mind, the states of fear, cowardice, worry, greed, anger, hatred, and avoids all these low, defiled, debilitating states of mind, which are all tukka. Instead, the mind has the control to enter into higher states of mind, and in this way is able to survive. A mind that must dwell in the lower states of mind is under great torment, in, in torment and torture. This is why the lower states of mind are often depicted as being hell, and hell is a place of great torment and torture. This happens spontaneously within this very body, when the mind opapati, opapatika in hellish realms of anger, greed, worry, fear, etc. But a mind that has tama is able to survive mentally and avoid the realms of hell and can be born in the higher realms, the various heavens and celestial realms, or at least in a proper human realm so that it is free of tukka. This is the second kind of survival mental survival. And so now we come to the third and last kind of survival, spiritual survival. The first kinds of survival are worldly, relative kinds of survival. They're still caught up in the world, both the, either the world around in material, physical survival, in social survival or the world within as mental survival. But both of these kinds are caught up in the conditioning and the relative truths of the world. But when we come to the third kind of survival, it's a kind of survival that is freedom from the world. It's to transcend and, and be above the world. So we can also call it 
supramundane or ultramundane survival beyond the world, to be free of the world. The first two kinds of survival deal with establishing, using tama to establish relationships properly to the things around us or to have control over the mind states so that these things no longer cause problems. But when it comes to spiritual survival, we're talking about something that eliminates all problems whatsoever. Spiritual survival involves the, the understanding and realization that, that there is no, well, let me point it, what's been going on in the first two kinds of survival is straightening out the situations, both physical and mental, that we find ourselves in so that these situations are not tukka. So in general, it's a movement from tukkha to sukha. Sukha is happiness. Getting ourselves out of painful situations into happy ones. But in doing so, there's always an I, some self, that either experiences the tukkha or experiences the happiness. And so this self is always subject to these changing conditions. Spiritual happiness is to be, or I'm sorry, spiritual survival is to be free of that self. And by being free of that self, then there is no longer anything to experience all the different problems we've been talking about. So spiritual survival is the final cure for all our problems. It's the, rea the realization that there is no I, there is no myself that experiences these various problems. And in this way, we are able to transcend this worldly existence of I and mine of possessiveness and identification and to be above all this conditioning by no longer having an I, a self, a me, a soul or anything belonging to the I, the me, the self, the soul. So we're completely free of I and mind, of me and myself. This is spiritual survival. This is the highest and final goal of Buddhist practice. We don't settle for just the, the first two kinds of survival because those are limited and conditioned and impermanent. For true survival, we need to have this third kind, spiritual survival, to transcend the self and the limitations and conditions of the self and of the world that belongs to the self. So this is spiritual survival, the highest goal of Buddhism. Those who have 
survived on the spiritual level, who have achieved this kind of survival, we call arahanta. Arahanta, which is can be translated as perfected human beings. Those who have completely reached the perfection of humanity. These perfect, we can call this a kind of opapatika, spontaneous immediate mental rebirth as an arahanta. But notice this kind of mental birth is much different than the mental birth into the various, various worldly realms. And by worldly, we mean that which includes both heaven and hell in addition to the human world, human realms. This kind of opapatika as an arahanta is not a rebirth into any of those realms, a rebirth into the world. It is a birth, a spontaneous mental birth within this body that is above the world, free of the world, that has survived all the problems, conditions, and limitations of the world. And this happens by transcending, by eliminating, by getting rid of all ideas of I, me, self, soul. This is the third kind of survival, the highest, most sublime kind of survival, spiritual survival. So, if we come to step 13 of mindfulness of breathing, which is the contemplation of anicca, of impermanence, while breathing in and breathing out. This is called anicca nupatsana. So, in this step of the practice, the mind is now studying tama completely and begins to focus on and note the, the anicca, the impermanence, the perpetual change and flux that is in all conditioned things. And as this is contemplated, it begins to be seen more and more completely. And as anicca is seen completely, then there is the seeing of anatta, not self, that in all that perpetual change, in all that impermanence, there is nothing that is permanent. There is no, or excuse me, there is no permanent essential individual entities which we would say call a self or a soul. In all that change, there are no selves and no souls. There's just change. This is to see anatta. And as anatta is seen, this will lead to the seeing of sunyata. Sunyata means the voidness of any meaning of I, or mine. So in all that change, nothing has the meaning, nothing can be rightly called 
I or mine. If we use these words, we're using them incorrectly or not truthfully because there is nothing that is rightfully I or mine that has the meaning of the words I and mine. This is sunyata. From seeing sunyata, then there is the seeing of itapachayata, the law of nature, of cause and effect. And as itapachayata is seen, then there is the seeing that it's all just this. There's just there's just this change, just this sunyata, this itapachayata. None of it is self. It's just what it is, just thus. This we call tatata, tatata, suchness or thusness. It's all just this, just thus, just the way it is, no other way. So this is, this is very, very useful because this the realization of da-ta-ta can solve all our problems. When everything is just seen as da-ta-ta, then nothing can ever be a problem again. So it begins with seeing impermanence, seeing anicca, and this develops into seeing anatta, non-self, not-self, and sunyata, the voidness of any meaning of I or me or mine. Itapajayata, the line of cause and effect that governs all this change, all this selfless, impersonal change that is going on, which is all datata, just thus, only this. When there is the, the realization, the spiritual realization of da-ta-ta, then nothing's a problem. Even if the body gets sick, if there is illness and pain, it is just seen as da-ta-ta, just thus. It's not me, it's not mine. It's just the working out of cause an effect. And so those pains are not dukkha. There's just the physical phenomena of illness. But there is no dukkha because of that. There is no suffering or pain experienced in the mind because it's just seen as da-ta-ta. It's not identified with or clung to. And when some illness is seen as da-ta-ta, then one takes the necessary medical treatment. And if the illness goes away, if it passes away and one is cured, well, that's da-ta-ta. Or if the illness doesn't go away and gets worse and the body dies, well, that's da-ta-ta too. And the cure of the illness or the the death. These all follow according to anicca, 
anatta, sunyata, itapajayata. So it's all just tathata, and neither the cure or the death disturbs the mind that has survived spiritually. So the important key to spiritual survival is to see impermanence and then to keep looking more and more deeply into that permanence to realize anatta, sunyata, itapajayata, and finally datata, suchness, thusness. And then this, this is the way out. This is the way of spiritual survival. So datata, the realization of datata, destroys the meaning of all dualities, of all the various pairs of opposites that are swirling around in our world. Datata cuts through all these distinctions between this and that to reveal thusness or suchness. And in cutting through this, then we no longer attach to either side of a duality. We no longer get caught up in these discriminations, are no longer enslaved by them. So by realizing datata, there is no longer enslavement to good or evil, or to winning and losing, to happiness and unhappiness. Datata cuts through all these distinctions and realizes that there's only thus. There's just this the way it is the way it is right now. So datata, when, when there is the realization of datata, there is no clinging to an advantage or a disadvantage or profit and debt. The mind is freed from all these of these dualistic pairs of opposites. This is the power of datata. This can free the mind from all the spinning round in worldly existence. So this, when we talk about using tama in the highest sense, the highest level of using tama is to use datata. Use datata to transcend these limitations of conditioned dualistic experience. We can use datata to free the mind of all this. This is the use of dhamma, of tama, on the highest level. This is how to use tama, to use the highest tama, that is datata, in order to survive spiritually. Now please don't go and misunderstand and think that datata is some big high word that can't be used in ordinary life. 
we can apply this tama of datata in even the most basic and simple of life's experiences. For example, if a young child has a, a doll or some toy and they're playing with the doll and it falls and breaks and the child begins to cry, then the grandmother or someone who is taking care of the child, this is very, used to be very common in Thailand, would say to the child, Chen Nan Eng, Chen Nan Eng. It's just such and such. It's the way it is. <laughs> don't, don't cry about it, don't laugh about it. It's just da ta da. So, it's possible to use the tama of da ta da with children in very basic situations so that we just see things as they are, as just such. It's no other way, it's just this way. There's nothing to cry about, there's nothing to laugh about. Just see it as it is. And so this way, datata can be applied to everything that happens so we don't get lost in happiness or in sadness, but just see it for what it is. And when there is this realization of datata, there's, there's no way that we see things as different or that we discriminate and distinguish between this and that, between good and bad, and all those other things. So datata is a dhamma that you can all use throughout your lives in each moment of every day. So become familiar with datata and learn how to use it in all situations in order to solve or to free yourselves of the problems of life. So whether, the, whether our dolls break or not, it's still da-ta-da. Now this matter of da-ta-da, which we can use throughout our lives, this is taught in the Christian scriptures in the very first pages of the Bible. There's the story of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and how God forbade Adam and Eve to eat the fruit of that tree. This is, this is about da-ta-da. This is all about how when Adam and Eve ate that fruit, then they came to know good and evil, which meant they attached, they clung to these discriminations of good and evil. And so they no longer had the realization of da-ta-da. Without realizing that it's all just the way it is, it's just this, it's neither good nor evil. Adam and Eve got themselves and the rest of us into all kinds of problems. 
So this is taught, this matter of data da is taught in the very first pages of the Bible. It's the same thing. However, many, many of the Christian of the Christian teachers talk about it in a different way. They give a completely different meaning to it. And so they they miss this opportunity to apply tatata in order to solve and deal with the problems of life. In Thailand, for many, many years, this has been taught, tatata has been taught to children, to babies, to small infants in their crib. When something happens, the grandmother or whoever looks after them <coughs> says, Chen Nan Eng, Chen Nan Eng. Oh, it's just that. It's, it's all it is. Just thus, just such. And this is the meaning of Da Ta Da. Unfortunately, this very wise teaching which is given to infants and very, very small children isn't continued as the child grows and becomes a teenager. But it is possible to begin teaching this to very, very young infants when they're still in the crib. And it's taught in the first pages of the Bible. And the use of this, this tama of datata in our lives can bring great benefit and free us from our our conditioned tuka. There are three aspects or phases to our practice. The first phase is to give up evil, to abandon evil deeds in body, speech, and thought. This is the first phase. The second phase is to do good, to do good deeds in body, speech, and thought. And the third stage, the final phase, is to purify the mind. This stage of purifying the mind is to to realize da-ta-da and then purify the mind of both good and evil, to free the mind of this discrimination between good and evil. Now we begin with the elimination of evil. Work on those really crude things and then begin to develop good qualities. But that's not the highest thing there is because there's still this discrimination between good and evil. And that discrimination itself leads to all sorts of problems. So then it's necessary to keep on with the practice in order to purify the mind, to, to finish this with all these distinctions, to abandon good and abandon evil to transcend them both and to be above them both. This is the realization 
of dātata. So for complete practice, there needs to be this movement in always towards the purification of the mind. Don't settle just for the, the abandoning, the giving up of evil things and the development of good things, but also liberate the mind from these discriminations. Free the mind from both good and evil by realizing da-ta-ta. Now I'd like to go back to the point we began with of of how to use tama. We need to explain that tama, this word tama, means many, many things. It means everything. Everything, all phenomena, all noumena also. Everything is tama. There is nothing excluded from tama nothing anywhere in the universe, in the cosmos. So Tama is everything. Now we can break up Tama or the Tamas into three categories. We can talk about the Tama that are tools or instruments. Then there are the Tama which are the activity itself. And then there are the tama, which are the results or fruit of the activity. So there are all these tamas, and we can have, we can see them in these three categories of the instrument, the activity or practice itself, and then the, re- the fruit of that practice. Now what we've been, when we're talking about ganchai tama or, or using tama, we're talking about the first group of tama, the tama as tools or instruments. We're talking about how to use these tools in a beneficial way. And the highest and most sublime the most powerful of these tools is the understanding and realization of this matter we call datata. So we're talking about tama as a tool, as tools. And the most powerful tool is datata. Now if we look at datata, this tool this Dhamma tool of ta-ta-ta more closely, we'll see that it's not just a tool, but it's also a result. The result of correct practice is the realization of ta-ta-ta. And then that realization of ta-ta-ta can be applied as a tool, leading to further realization. And then that, that newer realization can also be applied. So if we look more closely, we can see datata is both a result of correct practice and also a tool for further deepening practice. And then datata as both 
a result and as a tool can su progress successively in this way. First, progress as a is realization applied as a tool. <coughs> Further progress is realization applied as a tool to help us go on and on further and deeper into the understanding of Datata. So this tool of Datata works in this way until the final fruit of Datata, which is to cut through all problems, to eliminate all tukka from, from existence or from life. So this is how to use this tool of Datata in order to eliminate all the problems that, that arise. This happens in the 13th step of Anapanasati, where the realization of Datata begins and then is applied as a tool for the rest of the practice in order to complete the practice of mindfulness of breathing in order to to free the mind. Now this Dantata is the highest, most powerful tool available in our practice of Tama, but there are many, many, many other tools which can be used. And there are Dantata is a tool that is developed through correct practice. So now we'd like to talk about some other tools which are used in Tama practice which help lead up to the development of the tool of Tathata. So now we'd like to talk about some other tools or instruments that can be applied in our general practice of Tama. These can be applied on all sorts of levels and in all sorts of situations. And they can also be applied specifically to the practice of Anapanasati. So I'd like to talk now about five tools that can be used in general. The first of these tools is Sata. Sata is faith, confidence, or certainty in what one's doing. It's the confidence that this practice, if done correctly, will free, free one from tukka. So this, this is the beginning point of the practice, is to have the faith and confidence that when this practice is, is done, that it will lead to freedom from tukkha. So for this first one of sata, without any sata you wouldn't even come here <laughs> to learn about anapanasati. So you come here with some faith that's anapanasati may be of some use to you, of some help in dealing with the problems of life. And then this faith grows into confidence and certainty that anapanasati definitely, absolutely 
when practiced correctly, will lead to the solution of the problem of tukkha. This is the first one of these, these five. The second one is called wiriya, wiriya, energy. This is a sufficient amount of energy necessary to carry out the practice. Notice the word sufficient. It's not boundless energy. It's sufficient energy, both physical and mental. Sufficient energy of all the kinds that are needed in order to carry out the practice. This is effort, the, the trying, the putting of effort into the practice in order that it may progress. This is the second of these general all-purpose dhammas. The third tool is sati, sati, which we've heard about already, mindfulness. Without mindfulness, the practice from the beginning will have no chance of being correct. There must be mindfulness present from the start in order to keep the practice balanced and correct. So sati is absolutely necessary. To help you understand what is meant by mindfulness, one of the synonyms for it is heedfulness, which is the opposite of heedlessness or carelessness. So mindfulness has the synonyms of heedfulness or carefulness. This is the third very important all-purpose tool. The fourth of these is samati, which we heard a lot about the first talk. This is the steadiness and focused, concentrated mind, which is best described as one-pointedness of mind that has nibbana as its object, that has the object of nibbana. This is samati, and this is necessary for sufficient samati in the practice so that it, it stays focused on its goal, on the aim, in order to progress in that direction. The fifth of these is panya, wisdom, or the knowledge of everything that needs to be known. So the things that need to be known, what needs to be known, how to use it, when to use it, where to use it, how much of all these things. This is panya, this wisdom about the things we need to understand, how much of each of these things must be used at what time, what place, in what way. This is Panya, the fifth of these all-permis Dhamma tools. So these five tools are most, are very important and necessary tools.
These are five necessary tools of Tama. Now for you, all of you who are practicing Anapanasati, if you reach a point in your practice where it doesn't go any farther, where you get stuck at a certain point and there is no practice, then what you need to do is to examine yourself and see what shape these five tools are in. Look at them. Is the power of faith and confidence strong enough? Is the power of energy strong enough? Is the power and force of mindfulness strong enough? The power of concentration, samadhi, and the power of wisdom. If you reach an impasse or a block in your practice, then you need to examine yourself and see what shape these five tools are in. If they're too little, then you need to find a way to, to boost them up, to strengthen them and bring them up, or whichever one of them might be too weak or lacking. But also be careful that some of them might be too much. You don't want to overdo them either. But examine these five tools and see that they're strong enough so that they have the right amount of power, neither too much nor too little. But you want to balance between them. So when we talk about Anapanasati, which is what we're emphasizing here these ten days, then we use these five tools in our practice of Anapanasati. And you need to have them at the right level, at sufficient levels, for your practice to continue. But these five tools are used in all sorts of practices. And so, you can also apply them to your other activities. So these five tools of confidence or faith, belief, and then energy, mindfulness, concentration, and wisdom, these must be used sufficiently throughout the practice of anapanasati. When these five are present, then the practice will continue and develop. And so we use them through steps one, two, three, and onward of the practice of anapanasati until we come to step 13. In step 13, we use these five tools at the sufficient and appropriate level and degree in order to develop the tool of realization of anicca. Then as we begin to realize impermanence, then this is the tool to realize not-self, anatta, which takes us on to seeing the voidness of any meaning of I or mine, sunyata, and then itapajayata, the law of cause and effect, until the, the tool of datata is developed. So we use the first five tools throughout the beginning stages of the practice 
and then eventually use them to create the tool or develop the tool of datata. And then the tool of datata is used to finish things off, to to cut through attachment. So there is the fading away of attachment, the ending of attachment, and then the relinquishment of all the things that have been attached to. So these five things are can be used, or this is how these five are used in Anapanasati. We use these general tools in order to develop the tool of Datata. Now these five Dhamma tools are not restricted just to Anapanasati. They can be used in all the activities and business of your life. If you have any duty, task, work, or responsibility that you must carry out, then if you use these five tools of Dhamma, you will be able to do that thing correctly and successfully. And so these five are used in whatever aspect of our life where we must do something. And specifically, we can use them in Anapanasati in order to develop the tool the Dhamma tool of Datata. So we can summarize today's talk by saying that the practice of Dhamma is the use of these tools. To practice Dhamma is to use these tools. So get to know these tools in order to use them. Get to know them and understand what they are and then begin to use them. As you use them, that is the practice of Dhamma, of Tama. Use them in a way that is scientific, not superstitious. The word in Thai for scientific or for science is Vitiasat, the knowledge of, of knowing. And the word for superstition is Sayasat, the knowledge of those who are asleep. So as you use these tools, apply them in a scientific way. That means apply them by being wide awake. Use them wisely, experiment with them, explore them, use them, and see what benefits they bring. Don't do this with your eyes closed. Don't do it while sleeping, but do it while wide awake. This is how to use these tools, use them scientifically. To do them is to be what we can call a Buddhist. But now we're not telling you to convert to some religion. We're using this word Buddhist in a very special sense. And it doesn't mean someone who has signed up or registered themselves under a certain category. When we use the word Buddhist here, what we mean is someone who knows, someone who is awake, someone who has blossomed into truth, into the Dhamma. The word Buddha means the one who knows, the knowing one, the awakened one who wakes, who awakes others, and the, the one who has blossomed like a lotus and is perpetually fresh, fragrant, 
and open to the, the Tama. So to be a Buddhist is to be one who knows, who is awake and who is fresh and open to the Tama. So the way to do this is to, to practice Tama by using these five tools. To do so for the benefit of oneself and for others. And to carry on this practice and develop further and further into knowledge, into being awake, and into opening up to truth and reality. So on this point, we will end today's talk. I would like to make a short announcement, though. For those of you who are coming to your first retreat at Suanmok, if you would like, at 12.30 we will have a discussion about Ajahn Buddha Dasa's three talks. So, if you, for people who are new to Suanmok, this means that this is your first retreat. If you would like to participate in this discussion, you are welcome at 12.30. It's voluntary and optional. You're not required to come. If you have been to a retreat in the past, do not come. Okay? This is only for people who might need a little help in assimilating some of the things that have been said. Thank you.